0: Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible.
1: be in Matthew chapter 5, and we are continuing through the Sermon on the Mount as we're going verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've covered the Beatitudes. So Jesus sat down on the mountaintop to teach his disciples. There's a huge multitude, and anyone that wants to come and hear, they can hear, but we know he's really targeting disciples, people who are serious about following him and letting him be their Lord and Savior. And so we have saw the Beatitudes, we saw salt and light, And then last week, we saw that Jesus fulfills the law of Moses from the Old Testament, or the law of God, as it's called, and and the law of Moses, and then also the prophets. So we talked about that last week in our topical, and it was um, very encouraging to know that we're saved by grace, and the Lord Jesus fulfills those things, and then he imparts that, his righteousness to us, and he died on the cross for our sins to take away our guilt, but he imparts his righteousness to us through faith in him, uh, positionally, and then by the Spirit, He helps us to live for Him practically. And so, with that in mind, as we come to verse twenty-one, we're going to get we're going to go through five say, five sayings where He says, "You've heard it said of old." So He's quoting the law. So now He's going to quote the law, and then He's going to say, "But I say to you." So He's taking for them the Jewish people contextually. They would have had the understanding of the Torah or the law of Moses, the law of God. And a couple of these are the Ten Commandments and other ones are just that were there in the law between Genesis and Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And he says things how they would have understood it. So I he say, hey, you heard it said this way, but I say to you. So he's going to take because he just said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you're, you're coming up short. So he's already shown that outward religion is of no value before the Lord and so now we know he's always drawing people to himself so now he's going to take the disciples deeper to understand it's not what we see the exterior but it's really interior and the heart that the Lord's going after and so tonight we're going to go through these five statements you've heard it said and then there's a parenthetical one for adultery and marriage as well and so we'll get that as well on divorce, but we're gonna we're gonna go through them verse by verse. And so we pick it up tonight, beginning with this whole idea. But uh, but I say to you, that's the key phrase. That's our topic tonight. But I say to you, so Jesus wants us to go deeper. There's something more than what we think of just exterior religion. There's another gear. There's kingdom character, and Jesus teaches it, and Jesus lived it, and He empowers us to be it by His Spirit. Verse twenty one. You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother, has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you've paid the last penny." So this first one, you've heard it said, comes, of course, from the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. The idea of premeditatedly killing someone and taking their life from them, which is just just horrific to really even think of, whether it's violent crime that we're aware of that might happen in a, a civil society where people do violence, and that's why you have law enforcement and the judicial system and prison system and all that stuff. And it's just it's a reality that people kill people premeditatedly. Murder, And sometimes people kill people by accident. Uh, Some people kill people through foolishness and folly, like a DUI, and you've had previous DUIs, and then you've you've already got that against you, and then on your fourth DUI, you kill people, and you hit them in a traffic accident, and you kill some teenagers, and you're being tried for second-degree murder. So we know in our culture, in our society, there's various degrees of murder, how premeditated it was, or the accountability of it, or even in the law of God, we see manslaughter where they had the cities of refuge where you could go when someone wanted to avenge a death, that you could go there and have a trial, if you will, to determine it really was an accident, it wasn't premeditated, it was just a horrible accident, and the Lord and Cultures draw a distinction between death by accident versus premeditated. But this is murder. We know that most murders occur, people killing people they know, four out of five for sure. The random murder is more random. Most people that are murdered are murdered by someone that they know for various reasons. Could be a coworker, could be a former relationship, um, it could be usually one of those two, or a neighbor. Uh, a building animosity between neighbors. A good friend of mine, Randall Kim, who I competed against in pro surfing back in the 80s, uh, he was the Billabong rep. He was a rep for Billabong Hawaii, and he was murdered in cold blood along with his wife over the parking space in front of their house. It was an ongoing dispute with a neighbor, and it was going back and forth, and you just never know. This is why your wife tells you guys, defuse the situation, don't accentuate the situation. And it's just so sad when I heard that Randall Kim... Was and his wife were killed. They were they were killed by over the parking, just you know. And so you think, who would kill over that? Well, someone did, and we just know that's the way it goes sometimes. So this is a serious subject, and obviously, those of us in here, your church on Saturday night, you're not waking up saying, "I want to kill somebody," but people do certain things to other people, and you do get a thought like, "I'd at least like to get revenge on that person or see some justice on that person." or especially to depending upon the degree by which they've hurt you, then you would feel that. You could feel certain ways, and you, it gets anger, and then it goes from there. The Bible tells us not to let the sun go down on your anger, but to work through it. I think it's safe to say, on behalf of all of us, all of us who've been living more than three decades, I'd say we're 30 plus, we all know there's... In the human journey, there's just people that you've been so angry, so frustrated, so exasperated with them that you you can't sleep, you know, and 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 if you don't work through that, even in Jesus' name, you get you get full of maliciousness and you be filled with malice and bitterness, and it'll destroy you. What Jesus says here it's interesting because it says that it if you you have the anger then it says you say this and then you say that it's progressive and we know that uh, the abundance of a heart does a woman speak or a man speak so we know our words can reveal a lot about us because if you listen to the frequency and the cadence of what's coming out of your mouth that's coming out of your heart and your your words will reveal where your heart's at so jesus here it's, it's, you, you have this thing, this anger, and your words will reveal it progressively. So watch your words. Watch your words. Because the words are the prelude to violent actions so often in the human experience. So he says the real issue here is it just gets worse and worse. So therefore, what you need to do is not play church or religion. Leave your gift on the altar and make this right. Go be reconciled to this person. Uh, go be go your way, be reconciled. Agree with them lest it gets worse. And that's really how anger and, and wrath and malice is, isn't it? We know that. Like, If you don't recognize it, deal with it. Ask the Lord to help you with it day after day after day to work through it, maybe for years on a bitter divorce or for years on a financial loss of, Whatever, how bad it could have been. But you've only got so much time on this planet to work through it, and you have to work through it. Body of Christ, humanity, you have to work through it, or it will destroy you. To be tempted for vengeance and wrath and malice is not unusual. But the disciple of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and work through it and be reconciled that's the key so worship generation the key is to make it right as it says in Romans as much as it's up to you the peace with all men and however you can reconcile you should reconcile it's a sad thing in ministry for 35 years I've done many memorials and been at memorials where people regret that they didn't reconcile and make things right with the person that passed away family members, bitterness with adult siblings over estates and trusts and wills, and sometimes people not talking to each other for 20 years over $500. Just, I've seen it. I speak from experience, and I've seen it. Now, reconciliation is to your benefit as much as you can. Like it says in Romans, it's good for you. Ultimately, it benefits you and I when we make things right with people that we're angry with. It's to your own benefit. And it's to your own detriment if you don't. The human experience is so arduous and difficult at times, especially when there's deep hurt and pain, where there's anger and bitterness, where you really could imagine taking someone's life. And it's, that's why it's so important to get it right away. In fact, I leave you at this point. Agree with your adversary quickly. Jesus said quickly. Make it right Quickly. Because the longer it stirs, the more it grows like a cancer that's poison to the soul. Jesus said, Make it right quickly. The anger, the bitterness, the wrath, the malice, make it right quickly. And I would just say tonight if there's someone that you have great malice toward that you can make right, man, see the day of the Lord and make it right. It's a higher character of a human being to make it right. Any fool can, can take vengeance. It's a higher character that glorifies God. And we're creating his image when we can make it right. The second thing we get is adultery. Verse 27. You've heard it was said that those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Again, this is straight out of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you, okay, here we go, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. I think I can speak for all of us and say this is one of the heaviest passages in the entire Bible. I mean, this is a... First of all, when you think of how many times Jesus taught things, and, you know, we had the four Gospels, and you look at the apostolic writings of the pastoral epistles and the book of Acts, you never get a hyperbole like this one. I mean, obviously, Jesus isn't teaching us to poke our eyes out and cut our hands off. He's using hyperbole, but it is really strong hyperbole. And we realize the context is men toward women, but we have to be fair. It can be women toward men as well. Although it's more apt to go men lusting for women, women lust for men who are discontent in their marriage or discontent in life. And, you know, there's quite a few chapters in Proverbs about women who do this. But it is targeted in its context toward men. It's such a serious hyperbole. Just that alone, you just go like, whoa, this is serious. So in that culture, you know, the the men could just put away their wives for any reason and justify it. I won't go into all the history of it, but we know that's from the rabbinical writings. They could do that. I can't even imagine being married like that. I just can't even imagine a relationship like that. But that's how some of these things were. Sinful men have a way of justifying themselves. I should know because I see one when I look in the mirror. And so do you guys. And ladies, even women with a sinful nature, which you have, we do tend to justify ourselves. We want to do that. But this passage just destroys that. There's nowhere to hide on this passage. And as I thought about this passage, and I'll be honest, when I was a teenager, really my late teens, early 20s, this was the passage that made me think I could never serve Jesus. Because I'm a lustful lustful dude. And I'm going to have to cut my hand off and poke my eyes out. Like in my Catholic mind at the time, And not even a serious Catholic, but just in my weird, you know, Bob Marley, Carlos Santana, Catholic, hocus pocus kind of mixture of religions and some prosperity doctrine. I just like, I can't do this because, you know, like this is going to be a problem. But fear of failure shouldn't, fear of failure tomorrow shouldn't keep us from commitment to faithfulness today. Fear of failure tomorrow should not keep us from faithfulness today. And I've just known so many men and women who just don't even try and walk with the Lord because they're so afraid of the failures their lust and their eyes will get them into down the road. They just don't trust themselves, and so they won't even try to serve the Lord. And it's like, I wouldn't worry about tomorrow. I'd worry about today. I mean, that's where the self-help groups really have it right. It's one day at a time. And if you just walk in purity one day at a time, then you'll get a second day and a third day, and then you get a week and a month, and you can build that up. And God's faithful to do that. He's for us to walk in purity, whether we're women or men. Paul told us to take every thought captive and obedient to Christ. And it's always a thought. And it's not a sin to be tempted. But it's sin when you embrace that, like the book of James says. And I realize, like, the devil wants to isolate you and think you're the only person that gets these kind of thoughts. No, he comes after everybody like Nebuchadnezzar, the battering ram. He'll lay siege to your mind. And he'll give you thoughts you can even, thoughts that you wouldn't even think of. And the way you really know you wouldn't think of them is because you want to get rid of them and take them captive to the Lord. And it's a battle. And it's a, it's a battle you need to fight. But this is what I was thinking about with marriage. There are so many wonderful passages in the Bible about healthy marriages. We see examples of healthy marriages in the Bible, in the Old Testament, beautiful marriages. We see in the book of Proverbs where there's these well, Proverbs 31 is amazing, like what an amazing wife is like. But also Solomon, there early on, just says like, hey, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Have joy with her. Enjoy and embrace being married and the joy of what marriage is. And I think that's really the key. What I often say, in, related to sports as a coach, is the best defense is a great offense. You hear me say that quite often you imposing, in a sense, the Lord's will or your will on a situation, you being on the offense is the best defense. Well, if you're proactively loving your wife, nurturing your wife, encouraging your wife, praying for your wife, thinking of your wife, and lifting her up and sanctifying her, as it says in Ephesians 5, you're not going to check your brain out and disqualify yourself from being the husband your wife wants you to be. It's hard to pray for someone, love somebody, and think of wonderful things you want to do for them, and then let it unravel when you go to work or, uh, you know, on the weekend or something. So really, the strength of a marriage is to be proactively going after the best things in a marriage sincerely. I remember one time this couple of big Calvary, Calvary Costa Mesa, came in. They'd been married like 20 years, and they wanted to get divorced. I've shared this story a few times, but I just it's so clear in my mind. You know, I met them in the sanctuary and they came in the front office and they, hey, Joey, you're the guy, you go in there. And um, and they were so, they were so upset with each other. Like they, they literally, like, I mean, it was, man, it was serious. And I listened to him. And she mentioned randomly in this conversation well, when I was a homecoming queen, oh, homecoming queen, okay, all right. And then they're talking, talking. He's like, well, you know, when I was a starting quarterback, I was like, in my mind, (laughs) what? They're talking. I'm like, wait a minute. We got the high school quarterback and the homecoming queen. And I, and I, I let them speak and do all their stuff. And then I just said, you guys must have really been in love, right? Like, oh, yeah, we were so in love. Really? Yeah, we were so. You married each other. You've been married for 20 years. Yes. I was like, you, you gave your lives to each other. You've come 20 years in this journey. You were in love and you can be in love and you should be in love. And you just gotta, like Jesus said, go back to your first love. You can do this. I don't know what they expected from me because they were like 20 years older than me at least, you know? And, uh, but I was just like, wait a second. You're like homecoming queen, you're starting quarterback. You've shared, like, what, what are you doing? Why are we even here? You guys were, were you passionately in love? Oh, we were at one time. I'm like, well, they, they go find that passion. Go find it. Make your make your life a beautiful rom-com with a happy ending, if you know what I mean. Romance comedy, right? Like make it, a, make it a happy, like you, this doesn't, this moment doesn't have to define who you are. You can turn this around. You were in love. Jesus said when we fall out of love with him, he said, return to your first love and do those things that are your first love. So it stands the reason and it's ugly in a ugly marriage. That's what you should do. The way to avoid lusting after other people is to be in love with the one you're married to. And the way to be in love with the one you're married to is to pray for them, to encourage them and want to be with them. And think about ideas how you can like think about them and what you can do for them and and marriage is meant to be so beautiful and so special. And those who think it is and choose to make it such, well that's exactly what they get. A beautiful, special marriage. And whether it's a first marriage or a second marriage or a third marriage, once you decide that you're all in and this is the way you want to be and make it beautiful and make it a work of art, then that's what you get to be. Now, obviously, lots of people get married, get divorced, and don't get remarried. And some of you are here tonight. There's nothing here meant to condemn you. We We don't beat ourselves up for a yesterday we can't change, right? So don't do that. Don't do that. And one final thought, it talks about divorce here, where it says, uh, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Uh, But if he divorces except for sexual immorality, he causes her to commit adultery. The thing that jumps out at me is not so much that he causes her to commit adultery, but the phrase causes her. And again, in life, you'll see this, but in ministry, you see it a lot. There is a cause and effect of divorce. I'm a child of divorce. My wife is a child of divorce. There is a cause and effect of divorce. There's a cause and effect from infidelity on the marriage, on the children. There is a cause and effect. My sister and all of her challenges that she's had in her life and whatnot. My sister was, when I was 17, when parents got divorced, my sister was 11. So it was really hard on her. And my parents had been married for 20 years. And Both my parents were always plagued by guilt toward my sister. And Barbie learned, like many kids do, how to leverage that. She leveraged that guilt for benefits as she got older. And, you know, when Barbie said, oh, daddy, my dad's like, pull out the checkbook. Because he always felt guilty that, you know, she was the one. he's like, you were just a selfish 17-year-old. You're on your own. My dad loves me, of course, but, like, it wasn't the same. There was a cause and effect. And it shows up. The shortcomings in marriage, they show up. And we know in the book of Genesis, we see the sins of the parents become reflective in the sins of the children. This is the key. Once you decide that there's a new beginning for you and where you're at in your marriage or how you're going to approach marriage, then you write your story. I don't have to, I don't have to my parents are alcoholics. I don't have to be an alcoholic. I chose to quit drinking 35 years ago. I chose never to have alcohol be a part of my marriage. And it's a great decision because life's hard enough when you can think straight. At least it is for me. Right? You don't, you, you know, you define, you define, you define. Once you accept responsibility and self-determination for your soul, for your purity, for your marriage, for your children, you, you define it. And you write that story. And if you don't like the way the story is going, so I'm done with this book. This is done. We're going, to write, we're going to write a new story. We're starting over. So for me, with the adultery, the key is to be proactively toward the purity and the things that you want to do anyways and why you're in love in the first place and the way God's designed us to be. If you choose the right thing and you keep your life on offense favorably, then you're going to avoid the wrong things that put you on defense disfavorably that cause a negative cause and effect on your marriage and the people you love and someone you loved enough to marry. And again, if you've experienced divorce and maybe you divorced someone or they divorced you and, and everyone, it, in the human experience, I've said this, older the I get, I'm not surprised, people getting divorced doesn't surprise me, it, really what surprises me, people staying together the longer I've lived because you have to really humble yourself and serve others to really make it in marriage. You have to become more self-sacrificing as you get older. And once you're an empty nester, your wife's not messing around. Either shape up or figure it out.
0: You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.